0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Just a couple of um, observations and remarks before I get into the message. Um, I, I want to thank God for the openness that he has established between myself and the, the elders here. Four of them are men. I appointed to eldership Years ago, three of them are new to that task, and I was gone when they uh, received that particular appointment. But I've known those three as well and pastored them across the years. So this is like some sort of reunion. Um, I want to thank my brother Sanjay for his persistence when, when the Lord put that on his heart uh, last year. Um, he began to reach out to me and, um, and, let me be real candid, I wondered why. <laughs> um, I kind of thought that years had gone by and it seemed to me that things were settled um, here in the way that the leadership had determined they would go. Um, so I would hear in the wind about various decisions being made and personnel coming in and, and And so I I had really gotten comfortable thinking they've truly moved on and I'll just wish them well and I'll um, keep doing what I'm called to do in whatever venue is open to me. Um, And so I just kind of put it off that, you know, he was saying, let's get together. And I said, oh, okay. And then I waited for him to contact me again and said, let's get together. (laughs) And I said, oh, okay. And uh, meanwhile, I'm trying to figure out, and, and we're, we're getting together for what reason? Because I was convinced that um, if they've moved on, I don't see where, where I can do anything but bless them from from where I am. But then he said, uh, the Lord told me to reach out to you. Now, Now, when you bring God into it, I thought that was just my brother reaching out but when he brought God in that made me have to pray (laughs) and um... and so I agreed to begin to meet with him and I I, I thank you sir for your for your long suffering while it was clear to you I'm sure that i was reluctant um... but I just I, I had no understanding then as we began to share um... eventually he said, I think there's been some change that you'll want to hear in the hearts of some of the brothers and some of the things that some of them were originally under the impression of were not the case, and, and they, they, it would be good for you to clear the air. And so we began doing that. We've had several meetings. We talked very, very honestly, very candidly. If you know me, you know that I, I don't pull the punch uh, it's not my temperament. I don't, I don't like, we are the world, kumbaya. <laughs> if, if we're gonna connect, let's go down to where the issues are. And so that's what I've done with these brothers over several meetings now. It resulted in this, this invitation and in me feeling like it would be an honor to accept the invitation. So I thank them very much for, for reaching out to me. I want to publicly, as I've done in so many other places, uh, wherever I stand for the first time as a preacher since my restoration back in 2010, I always acknowledge the presence of my wife and children. Um, I've said in many occasions, it's always been true will always be true. I married up I married someone of very high quality and character and Godliness Hers is not fake and phony. It's the real deal So I'm a blessed man and I'm so grateful. Thank you to all the destiny family who You know, we we started talking about this invitation. I announced it five weeks ago at our place. They applauded and applauded and applauded. And um, I was getting the impression, maybe we just need to move the whole operation over (laughs) for that one Sunday. And uh, so that's what we've done. We shut down. We got banners up at our place in Fremont saying, no church here today. (laughs) And then we have posters explaining where we are. And uh, the church family, I'm, as I look around, I, I can see they're here in pretty good numbers. Thank you so much for joining your joining pastor here. All right. I don't know when y'all usually get out of church, but um, I probably don't need more than my usual length of time (laughs) I didn't as I prayed about this opportunity I said Lord what what is it that you would have me say to the church family there at abundant life and uh, it didn't take a very long time and pretty quickly the Lord dropped a theme in my in my mind and heart I want to talk to you about the focus factor The focus factor. If you have a Bible, you can follow along as I read aloud Numbers chapter 13. I'll look at verses 17 through 20, and then in the interest of time, skip down to verse 25 and read through 33. Numbers chapter 13, beginning with verse 17. I used to say, if you have it, say, I've got it. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are the trees on it or not? Are there trees on the land or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. Skip down to verse 25. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Here are its fruits. But the people who live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites. Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone out with them said, we cannot attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. I've asked the AV personnel to put up a, a picture for me. Hopefully they'll be able to do that. I want you to take a look at that picture for a moment. How many of you at first glance saw the face of a duck? Let me see your hands. Okay, you can put them down. How many of you at first glance saw the face of a rabbit? How many of you now see both? It depends. On your focus. This ambiguous drawing first appeared in a German human magazine in the late 1800s. Since then it's been a tool used by a number of professionals to help illustrate that a single thing can be viewed in more than one way. There is no one way to see Everything. It depends on your focus. In our text, the people of God are no longer in bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt. If you're familiar with this section of the Bible and of biblical history, you know that after hundreds of years of being slaves in Egypt, God raised up Moses to lead his people out of bondage, led them through the Red Sea and into a place where they were free. They were free from bondage. They were free from slavery. They were free from someone telling them what they had to do. But although they were free, they had not yet arrived at the place God ordained for them. They had come out, but they had not yet gone in. God never brings people out without having somewhere for them to go. And he didn't bring them out of Egypt just so that they could hang out in a desert. God is too good for that. He brought them out because... Generations before, he had said to Abraham, I'm going to take you to a place I have ordained and I'm going to give it to my people as an inheritance. That place, that place of which God spoke to Abraham was the promised land. And so they always knew, they grew up hearing that God has promised us a land that will be ours to dwell in and to enjoy life in and to worship him in. They all knew that. Every Israelite was familiar with the story of Abraham and the patriarchs that came out of him. They all knew this is God's plan to, to have his people live and dwell in a wonderful land of milk and honey. And every imaginable, imaginable provision would be theirs too enjoy so when we get to this text they have spent a whole lot of time going nowhere and finally moses hears the lord say it's time that y'all go where it is i promise to take you then when you get to uh, numbers it's very interesting because chapter 13 verse 1 says the Lord said send spies to the land and check it out the reason why you gotta study the the scriptures very carefully and in a full context is because just like no one picture represents the same thing no one scripture means everything you think it means unless you check it out by the parallel sources and although numbers tells us chapter 13 verse 1 that the Lord said go send the spies over When you compare it with Deuteronomy chapter 1, actually what happened is Moses began to talk to the people, the Lord wants us to go on, get up from here, and go into the land. And if you notice when you read Deuteronomy 1, God said through Moses it's time to go. So Moses told the people, let's get up from here and go possess it. God promised it to us, let's go possess it. And the people said, well, we need to check it out. We ain't going to just bust up in a place we've never been. We're going to go check that out. And the people said to Moses, send spies over. Moses, no doubt, checked with God. And that's where you get Numbers 13, 1, where in response to the people's request, God said, okay, sure. Go send spies. God didn't necessarily ordain that. The people wanted it, and they had a good rationale. They said, this way we can know what the route is we're going to take. And they said, and we'll we'll be able to know what towns we're going to run into first. Rationale. You ever had a rationale for doing something God didn't tell you to do? It'd be helpful if I could get some honest folk to walk with me through this message. And so he said, I, I heard God give me the okay that these people want to check out the land. So I'm going to send spies over. And you know the story. He chose one person from every tribe to go and to be a part of this task of spying out the land. So here in our text, we find that those people are given explicit instructions. What are they told? According to Numbers 13, they're told, go see what the land is like, whether the people are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land is good or bad, whether the towns are unwalled or fortified, whether the soil is fertile or poor, whether it has trees And then if you can bring back some fruit. That's what Moses sent them to do. That's several pieces of information. Now look at what they say when they get back. Verse 27. We went into the land to which you sent us. It does flow with milk and honey. Now as I look at the list they were supposed to be checking off. (laughs) Milk and honey ain't on the list. (laughs) They came back saying, yeah, it flows with milk and honey. They had heard that. that. That language had been used earlier among the patriarchs. They had heard that. But Moses and the people are waiting now to check off everything else. And they check off one more box. Here's the way they check it off, starts with the word, but <laughs> we got a problem. Nobody asked them to assess whether they could go into the promised land. They were asked to check it out and report on what they found. They were not aboard to make decisions. They were a series of spies representing all the people to just bring back data. Data is like that picture. It doesn't lead you to any one conclusion. It depends on what you focus on. They came back and as soon as they used the word but, Caleb knew Houston, we have a problem. Because Caleb is one of the 12 spies, he saw everything the other folks saw. And when he heard the guy saying, but the people over there are powerful and their cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw giants over there. And he started talking about all the different people groups that were over there. He knew that this guy's report had gone off assignment was not asked to give his opinion as to whether or not it was a good idea to go to the promised land and Caleb heard the word but and he realized I better jump in and look at him jump in in verse 30 he silenced the people and he said we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. He saw everything the other guys saw. But when he saw it, he didn't see what they saw. They saw a duck. (laughs) He said, God said, that's ours. So when I went over, I went over to check out where I'm about to live. I went to see where my house is going to be. I went to see how close I'd be to a vineyard. I went to check out the land as my future possession. They went over to try to figure out if there was any way they could overtake the people who lived there. Thus the only thing I came to say, I tried to get get a classic message together with three points and a poem and a hoop at the end. But the only thing I heard the Holy Spirit saying is Tell the people that the future is what I say it is. And tell them. That if they want to be with me, the formula is pretty simple. Listen to what I say, take me at my word, and watch me fulfill my promise. I came to tell you, I know you all have been through quite a bit over the past six years this church has gone through a few serious storms one not only of my making but one of other people's making and you've been through some rough times and some difficult places kinda like Israel in bondage doesn't feel real good to go through what you all have gone through but the one thing you can know is just like In Egypt, they were still God's people. In the place your church is in right now, you are still God's people. This work was established by the hand of God. I know because I happened to be there at the time. was minding my business in Philadelphia. Things were looking good in Philadelphia. My salary package was wonderful in Philadelphia. I had a whole compensation package. And one day God waited till I got good and comfortable as the associate pastor and the heir apparent of my daddy's congregation. Nice and comfortable, folk were waiting for him to retire so I could take the reins and take the church into the next generation. I was satisfied, content, and I heard the Lord say, go west, young man, go west. I thought, Philly's cool, why don't we just hang out here some more? But if you've ever heard the voice of God about anything in your life you know that when you're called according to his purpose you don't have a lot of wiggle room you don't believe me just ask jonah when god tells you to do something he's not asking you what you think about it really And so I ended up, my wife and I praying, and you know the story. Many of you have heard the story. I don't have time to walk you all the way through it. Bottom line, I find myself meeting with a little pulpit committee of people representing a church. When I first met with them, there were 60 some members, and I'm meeting with their pulpit committee. They go by the title at that point, East Palo Alto Church of God. My older brother had been one of their previous pastors. In fact, their last full-time pastor, they had two interim pastors after him, and uh, then they were asking me would I be a candidate for the pulpit, and I, um, I said I'll pray about it. I wasn't used to praying about invitations, I was used to turning them down flat, because by then, by the late 80s, I had a vision that God had developed in my heart of a church I would one day Pastor. was a very unusual thing there were thousands of people although I didn't get to see their faces I knew there were thousands of them and the Lord burst in my heart that I would be the pastor of this church that he would use me as the visionary to bring this kind of work to pass and to lead them um, for the duration of my uh, ministry and so I was saying well I've been around church folk all my life I'm a pastor's kid one thing I know about church folk, they don't like change. And I said, well, this vision I have is not going to go with any existing church. They will re- they will reject that out of hand. Because thousands of people are going to make some of them feel like, then how do I get to run the church if it's thousands of them? And so, I said, so... I just turned down every invitation I was getting to go somewhere and pastor. I said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm content here at home. But when this invitation came from East Palo Alto Church of God, I knew these folk. I had preached for them when my, pa- when my brother was the pastor. I knew them. I saw them at Church of God conventions. And I liked them. So I said what you say when you don't want to flat out turn people down. I said, I'll pray about it. <laughs> and I prayed about it. But the Lord didn't say you can turn them down went to went to LA 1988 on vacation the summer of 88 to pray and to finish this business with these people and just see what God had cuz I'm assuming the Lord's going to send me to a city somewhere I'm going to take a secular job start a church as a bible study in my home that was my plan good plan but instead I'm down in LA And I say, you know what, I really need to finish up this business with these people up north. And so I want to turn them down, but I want to turn them down easy. So what I'll do, I'm already in Southern California. I'll tell them I'll fly up, get your pulpit committee together, and let's have a little get-together. And by the end of that, we'll know whether we're right for each other. So my plan was to share with them this vision. All these people coming, y'all ain't going to be able to control nothing you know paint the picture and then they would say okay thank you so much for flying up have a safe trip back down and I figured that would be the end of it but the more I talked, the more excited these people got (laughs) finally one of them said you know we've been a small church forever there's one of them right there she wasn't on the public committee but she's in the church walking in to testify to the truth of what I'm saying She wasn't on the public committee, but she was one of those original folk. And so somebody on the committee said, this is exactly what we've been asking God for. We're tired of being a little insignificant church that doesn't reach anybody but the folk we already know. We want to see God do something. And if the Lord is saying to you that that's the kind of church you're going to birth, we want to help you birth it. And I said to myself, I don't want to birth it with church folk. I want to save some heathens and birth it with them because they don't give you the headaches that church folk. They said, we're going to recommend you to the church. It's the summer of '88. Then they had several months of going through changes. They had an inward fight because there was a, a pastor there who wanted to lead the church and so they're bickering among themselves. So we're gonna let him, he's faithful, he's been here a long time. We don't know this man from across the country. And they went through all that. Finally, the fight ended up in a split. How in the world does a little church split? But it did. I promise you it did. So when they first called me, they had 60-some members. By the time they got through with all their infighting, it was January of 1989. I got a call from the chairman of the pulpit committee. He said, Pastor Paul, I have good news and bad news. The good news is we're finally ready to call you to this pastorate. The bad news is there's only 34 of us now. (laughs) He said, and and of course, whoever we call, we are asking them to commit to being full-time, not to have any second job. We want them to be focused on our church. We're used to having a full-time pastor, even as a small church, and we want to continue that practice. So if you commit, you need to, be commit, uh, you need to also be committed to not being bivocational. And I said, I see. <laughs> I said, well, let me fly out and just kind of take a look and meet with y'all and that sort of thing. I flew out one weekend in January of of 1989, And I said, listen, um, I want to share with the whole church, all 34 of (laughs) y'all, this vision. I said, because I'm not moving across the country to fight. So that's too much moving to fight. If y'all have another idea the way you want the church to go, feel free to follow that. But let me share with you. And I gave them various points that the Lord had shown me. In fact, the other, several weeks ago, I was driving to the, to the uh, Hanford area, and I pulled out a CD of that meeting and listened to what I said to them in January of 1989. It is amazing that in 1989, I said those things to 30-some people. None of us had ever seen such a church, or even imagined such a church. But I'm happy to say that in the 20 years I led here, God brought every single point to pass. And it was because we decided together that we wanted to see the glory of God and we were more thirsty and hungry for that than for any personal agenda. And so I just came over to say to you a word of encouragement. I know you've been through a lot, feel like you've gone through all kinds of unnecessary painful things. But I'm here to say this church was birthed by a vision God gave. And I don't care what's happened and who's left and wh- how this landscape looks different than it used to look. God still has a plan for his people. He always has a plan for his people because they are after all his people. And the thing I want to encourage the leadership over here to do is to simply say, Lord, help us to hear clearly from you. Yes. I know that there are people who have various agendas, even outside of this place, who have personal desires and personal things that they want to see happen, and, they, and they're looking at pictures all kinds of ways. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you see it or how you see it or how you see it or how you see it. I learned that the only thing that matters is what did God say it was. If God says it's a duck, don't call it a rabbit. If God says it's a rabbit, don't call it a duck. If God said, you've lost a lot of people, but I got more things I want to do here. Believe him when he talks to you. God is able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that we can ask or even imagine. Now, let me take you back to the text for a little while. Because there's something else I want to point out about this focus factor. So those 10 spies came back talking about we can't go. Nobody asked them to go find out whether they could go. But they have ventured their own opinion and now they are spreading it among the Israelites. Here's what I want to tell you. If you all want to experience what God has for you in your future, whatever it is, quit listening to the tens and start listening to the twos of the 12 spies only Joshua and Caleb knew how to look at the picture God put up and call it what he said they said we should we should be having this business meeting in the wilderness you know church folk in business meetings where they have mics, and everybody gets to tell you what they think. Yeah. If y'all were with me for the 20 years, I hope you've noticed by now, we had several key informational meetings, but we didn't have any business meetings. We, we gave information, I knew it was important to, to be good stewards of the information and all that God was doing, and we shared that freely. But if you notice, you didn't vote on anything that was part of the vision the vision was raise up people who can help the visionary hear from God and confirm yes pastor we believe you've heard from God every change we made every decision we made we said Lord is this what you want They looked to me as the one with the primary vision to say, what did the Lord show you? And I described as much as I could. And they entered in and prayed and said, yes. And if there was any hesitation at any point, ask the original elders. We waited and prayed until everybody said, let's move forward. And then we came and we said to the saints, here's what we're getting ready to do. You notice we didn't ask questions because if you ask questions, you got to listen to the answers. I'm away from here now. I can tell you what I really need to tell you. I'm sharing with you. I'm sharing with you the secret sauce of Abundant Life's history. Oh, y'all felt good, and you left the meetings, you had information, and you felt wonderful. You probably never realized, he didn't didn't ask us what we thought. Because we learned that when God is speaking, He's gonna call it whatever he wants to call it. Amen. And our job is to say amen, amen. to what he says yes to. Amen. You know that's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. A lot of folk who grew up reading King James, they say the Bible says that all the promises of God are in Christ are yea and amen. Wrong? That's what King Jimmy said. You gotta go deeper than Jimmy. You gotta go to the Greek. When you go to the Greek, you look at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1.20, and you find that it says all the promises of God in Christ are yes. Meaning when God makes a promise, He's already said yes to it. Then it says, but the amen is spoken through Christ by us. Promises of God Aren't in him yea and amen. Like he says both of them. He says the amen. He says the yes. Your job is to say amen. When you see people spend their lives in the wilderness. Instead of the promised land. It's because God said yes. And they said wait. God said yes. And they said how much does it cost? God said yes. And they said, who's going to be in charge? God said yes. And they said something other than amen. And if you don't say amen, God will simply take his yes, skip your generation, and find some folk among your kids. And your kids will say, I'm sick of living With scorpions and snakes. I'm sick of, my my pet is a scorpion. What kind of sense does that make? And your kids will grow up and say, if y'all didn't want what God had for you, y'all going and die here, but we plan to go over. And that's exactly what happened. That whole generation died out except Joshua and Caleb. God said, I'm going to keep you all strong, give you supernatural strength, And he did just that these folk died in the wilderness because they fought and murmured instead of saying God is that a rabbit or a duck what do you want to do with our lives watch abundant life watch your tens listen to your twos Listen to the people who have the spirit. The Bible says about Caleb, God kept him alive and strong because he had another spirit in him. Other passages say he fully followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Make sure you listen to the folk. And this is a key for your life, not just your church. But let me talk to you about your life for a moment. If you want to experience the promises of God for your life in any area, in your spiritual walk, in your finances, in your family life, in your vocation, if you want to make sure you do everything God has ordained you to do, you've got to decide that the key to my success in every area is what does God want me to do about my money? What does God want me to do to make my marriage better? What does God want to do to make me a more effective parent? What does God want me to do on, in my job, in my vocation? What does God want me to do in ministering and helping to advance the kingdom of God? That's the only question that matters. Listen to him. Do what he says. There's your formula. People ask me for years as it was noise abroad, what God was doing in this church, that we grew first slowly from, for seven years, it took us to go from 34 to 250. Seven years of hard labor, praying, fasting, believing God, seven years, seven slow years. Cause the vision was thousands and I kept saying, God, where are they? And they weren't coming, they were driving by in droves. When we were over on Copley Theater in Palo Alto, they were going and ripping up and down uh, uh, Middlefield Road. We in that little theater sitting back there. And they just passing by. Sometimes they'd pull onto the parking lot of the school. We said, Oh, somebody come into church. And they'd turn and go to another building. Seven years of my best preaching. I preached well for seven years. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Great sermons, anointed powerful. Give you insights and principles to live by. And with my best preaching 34 to 250 in seven years, I would drive home from church regularly saying to Meredith, we must have missed it. She said, no, honey, we heard from God. Just hang on in there. I said, yeah, but where the people at? And I don't know why God did it the way he did it. But I found out that we were all sowing in tears and he was going to cause us to reap in joy. In the eighth year, I started giving, I started uh, making altar calls that I'd been making for seven years and it was a happy coincidence when somebody got saved. The average Sunday, i would like, anybody want to receive Christ? Come on down. Of course not. Let's stand. It's the way it went for seven full years. Every now and then somebody would... Get saved. I said, You you really want to get saved? You're not playing. You're not playing. You really? (laughs) But some of you can testify that somewhere in year eight, by this time we were in a little raggedy warehouse at at O'Brien Road and Willow Drive. Willow Road, O'Brien Drive. You can testify. Some of y'all were there. You started seeing people get saved every Sunday. Same messages. I'm still preaching this powerful message. I've been preaching for seven years. But now people started responding. And they got saved this week, and got saved next week, and got saved the week after. And I began keeping records. And do you know that every, in those years, starting in probably the second year of uh, Willow Road, maybe the second year of Willow Road, we recorded that somebody got saved every weekend. And we were in at Willow for eight and a half years. Six and a half of those, somebody got saved every week. We went from one service to two. Some of y'all were there from two to three. From three to four. People standing outside waiting to get in. Come on, some of y'all waiters. And a church that I assumed was going to be all black. Just assumption, because I'm a black guy. My whole experience was black people, uh, pastor black people. All I had ever seen. In Philly, we had a thousand members, 999 of them were black. There was one white lady in the whole church I told y'all we never figured out why she joined and was comfortable, but she was. We just made her an honorary black person, kept on going. So when I got here, pretty early on, of the 250 that we had after seven years, two of them were white. Man, I was doing something. That was one of the things that encouraged me in those years where we were hardly growing. Two, I would, I would brag to my black pastor friends, man, I got two white folk in my church. Y'all think I'm lying. I actually did brag about that. Yeah, two of them. Two? Yeah, two of them. I had no idea that if you say amen to what God says yes to, He'll not only fulfill the promise he made you, but he'll fulfill it in ways you never even thought of. So I'm thinking thousands of black folk are going to be here before it's over. And folks started coming from all kind of cultures and all kinds of uh, uh, places of life stations in life. And and suddenly we got this multicultural church, intergenerational church. Old folk are happy, young folk are happy, middle-aged folk are happy. Stanford students started coming by the scores. One of their retired professors sitting down here with me right now. I asked him to be sure to be here with me. So he could tell you, I'm telling the truth. He's a decorated Stanford uh, professor, and today he's now retired. He's emeritus. But Dr. Barker and his wife, Maude, came over, became part of the fellowship. I didn't know they were all special important till one of the students told me. (laughs) I said, oh, really? I said, but he's an usher on the campus he was a big shot when he came to church he said let me join your usher board and the funniest thing because all the students thought they got rid of all the professors on the weekend and they start coming to our little church over there on willow road and there was dr barker saying right this way please Usual. I mean, the church just started looking weird. So where are these people coming from? Doctors, lawyers, CEOs of, of companies in the valley. Once One uh, day I looked on Time Magazine. One of my members is on the cover with some other CEOs. I said, what the devil is going on here? You know what was going on? All we did was heard God tell us a promise that he had said yes to. And all we had to do was say amen. Amen. I go around the country to this day teaching pastors. And they say, what's the formula? What's the ingredient? What's the secret sauce? And I say, when God says yes, make sure you say amen. Amen. He'll take you places you never dreamed. I mean, it got crazy. Before we built this, it was unbelievable. Back in the 90s. Uh, when Clinton went through that thing, they had a special prosecutor investigating him. You remember that? His name was Ken Starr. Ken Starr's daughter was a Stanford student. She came and joined Abundant Life. And so when he would come for the parent weekends, I'm preaching to Ken Starr. I said, what in the world is happening here? He'd come in the office and say, oh, I love that word. Keep on preaching that word. The man knew Jesus. I, never, I had no idea. But his daughter was dedicated she was right there just enjoying herself and then if you remember a year or two later chelsea clinton came to stanford and somewhere along the line she heard about abundant life she didn't want to join she said but i do want to check it out and one sunday i drove up getting ready for church and these black vans were sitting outside and the motors were running and when i got in the building one of my one of my uh brothers said pastor Secret Service is here. I said, I ain't do nothing. I ain't do a thing. The devil is a liar. They said, no, 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 it's not about you. Chelsea's coming to church for the second service. And so they thought they'd come before the first service, sweep through the place and make sure we were okay. they, said, and, they, and, they want, and they want to see you. I said, all right went and met them, and they said uh, we're gonna keep our vehicles running just in case (laughs) shown up I'm up preaching second service that day and Chelsea and her buddies are sitting right there taking in the Word of God I said what kind of church is this (laughs) and my friends started saying you know your church is so strange (laughs) one day I got a revelation I said no yours is strange When y'all get to heaven, you're going to have culture shock. When we get to heaven, it's going to be like church. Black folk, white folk, Asian folk, Pacific Islander folk, Hispanic folk, Indian, East Indian. Everybody is going to the same heaven. So we might as well reach them now. Whatever God says for this church to do, here's your formula. You've come well through your storms. Because at the end of the day, when the devil gets to really messing with y'all, all all you got to do is tell him, yeah, but I'm still here. I've been a lot of, I've gone through a lot of changes. These these leaders had to pray and work hard through a lot of things, but they're still here. At the end of the day, you got to get the devil up off of you and just tell him I'm still here. Through many dangers, toils, and snares. I've already come. grace that brought me safe thus far. Grace will lead me on. You want to prosper as a church? You want to prosper as a family, as an individual? Don't listen to your tens. Follow your twos. They've heard from God. And if you follow, you'll be blessed. Stand with me.